So Money, episode 1255, The Business of Books with Rochelle Fretzen, founder of Purposeful Platforms. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Publishers are looking for now in this moment is where's your thriving community, right? Is it on social? Is it an arm of your business? Are you actually forward-facing teaching and talking about what you want to write about, right? Have you tested the waters with the ideas that you have? Where's the social proof? Welcome to So Money, everybody. It is Monday, September 20th. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. We are going to go behind the scenes and learn more about the publishing industry from one of its pros. Rochelle Fretzen is the founder of Purposeful Platforms. She is a book publishing consultant and proposal coach. She's helped many authors land multi six-figure book deals. In the last year alone, she has led clients to millions of dollars worth of book deals. She has extensive extensive knowledge, helping aspiring authors, guiding them through the book development process from concept to proposal to agent introductions. And I know this firsthand because Rochelle plucked me out of book proposal hell earlier this year when I was just, oh, I was spiraling. I was trying to get this proposal done, a kind of proposal that I'd never really attempted before that was really narrative driven, short story driven, personal. And I went on Instagram to complain, I guess. And she found me and said, let me help you. And she gave me a real clear plan, lots of guidance, great feedback. And guess what? I sold the book months later and I am now going to be coming out with my fourth book, A Healthy State of Panic. You probably know this. It's coming out in 2023. And it's all about why I am the person I am when it comes to making decisions about money and life and career and kids. Uh, It's not been a straight line. And I've had a crazy upbringing, a crazy life. And it's all been helpful to me as I have now been able to establish boundaries in my life, know what I want. And I want to give that uh, to you in the form of a book. All those lessons, all of those frameworks, and all those nutty stories about growing up in Worcester to immigrant parents who basically raised me not to run towards life, but run away from death. That was the, that was, as I'm thinking about life, I'm like, this is, that was my mom. She never really encouraged us to take chances or embrace life. It was always about death is around the corner, hide. And you know what? It kind of paid off to be honest. And Rochelle got that. And she was able to help me put that all into a nice proposal that then my agent went and sold to Simon & Schuster. And I am forever indebted to her. And I said, you know, you need to come on the podcast and tell all my listeners, some of you out there might be interested in writing a book, maybe self-publishing or traditional publishing. Rochelle has all of the knowledge. She's going to walk us through the financials, how to get book proposal ready. She is dubbed the six-figure book deal coach. Clients go on to get book deals from Simon & Schuster, Penguin Random House, Hachette, many more. She also has an awesome podcast, which I have just been on. She's a great interviewer. It's called Bound and Determined. So if you want more of her insights, more conversations with authors who've recently gone through the publishing process, she does this all on her podcast. 
Without further ado, here is Rochelle Fredson. Rochelle Fredson, welcome to So Money. You made my 2021 a career success in some ways. Oh, that is very kind. <laughs> sometimes I get personal on the show and sometimes I bring on people from my life. Uh, and honestly, you're a new person in my life. I'm a new person in your life. You can do this in your 40s, everybody. You can make great relationships past college, in fact. And I was just telling my my brother and his girlfriend uh, over our vacation last week, I was like, if you're not ghosting people in your 20s, you're not adulting right. Uh, <laughs> And don't worry, because you will find even better people in your 30s and your 40s when you actually know what your purpose of life is <laughs> and what makes you fulfilled. Anyway, I, get, I digress. Rochelle, I'm so happy to have you on the show to introduce you to my audience. For those of you who might follow me on Instagram, you may have seen me praising this woman. You may have heard me on her podcast, Bound and Determined. But Rochelle found me on Instagram um, well, we had been sort of connected previously, but caught me in a moment of duress uh, on Instagram when I was on there and talking about how I was in book proposal hell. And she was like, we should talk because this is what I do for a living. I help people create proposals that could then go on to get sold to major publishers. I am the book proposal whisperer. <laughs> and I said, I need you in my life. So we started talking. We started working together. And it was a uh, a promising bill of goods you delivered. I, <laughs> within months, I had uh, the biggest book deal of my life with Simon & Schuster, whom I've never published with before, the ultimate publisher, for a book that I, I'm just beyond excited for. You know, it, it, I say it has nothing to do with money and everything to do with money. It's called A Healthy State of Panic, How to Win at Life When the World is Out to Get You. More on that later. There'll be many episodes on the genesis of that and why I wanted to write that. But welcome to the show and thank you for allowing me to be this next level person that I've always wanted to be, this memoirist. Um, I love this so much. And and thank you so much for having me. Honestly, you, you prove the point that I make to people all the time. And that is that it doesn't matter if it's your first book or your 20th book. There are all of these emotions and hangups that come up when you're going through the process. And part of it's overwhelm and there's vulnerability and there's comparison. Like there's all of these emotions that come into this process. And I love that you were very transparent about the overwhelm of this book proposal. And I was happy to help you. Easy yeah. breezy. And it was to your point, not my first ride around the rodeo. I had written, I have written several books, but it had been a while. It had been, you know, since I last wrote a book proposal, probably 10 years or nine years, something like that. Books take a while, everybody. You know, you write the proposal <laughs> and that takes a year, then you sell it and then you write it and then it comes out. And then from when you hit pen to paper and you see it at Barnes and Noble, three years have gone by yeah. at earliest, at fastest. So it's a journey. And, and with that comes all those emotions for all those years. It's a commitment on, on an unprecedented level. And yet I always tell people, we all have books inside of us. We should all write a book. And now, I, mean, I used to say this 10 years ago when before we had like Instagram and YouTube and TikTok and courses. And I guess my point is everybody should have something that they own that is yeah. like their creative license, property. Books for me have been the, the bread rocks of my career. But for others, it could be YouTube. It could be you know digital courses. It could be speaking. But why did you want to dedicate your career 
to helping people with their literary careers. Mm, my parents still laugh that I went into publishing at all because I was the kid that would never finish a book in high school, college, forget about it. I was like the Cliff Notes kid, um, which for anyone that doesn't know what Cliff Notes is, now you can just use Google you know, to, to cheat the system and figure out what <laughs> these books are about. <laughs> but I actually uh, started my career in, in PR at an agency in Southern California and was doing big launches for Sony, McDonald's, Chicken of the Sea Tuna, like big brands and realized pretty quickly that it felt a little soul sucking to me. This was not going to be my forever career. Um, and actually by mistake, got a call from a publisher that was hiring. I had left my resume up on Monster ages ago. Um, and although I wasn't act actively looking, they said, come in, you know, we, we publish, you know, about 25 to 50 products a year. You know, it's, it's a great community. So I ended up going and falling in love with the people and their passion for these books. And although it wasn't an industry I ever thought I'd be in, I loved it because it was mission driven. And there's something so cool about amplifying people's like hopes and dreams and expertise. And so 20 years later, now I've held so many different types of positions in publishing that that's what gives me the cool lens to coach people now is from PR to marketing to acquisitions. I've done it all. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I know what I love to do. And that's really hone in and create marketable book ideas from the ground up. For those listening who are like, yes, I'm onto this. I want to write a book. I want to share my expertise with the world or I have wisdom to, to spread. What is your advice? Because I think that there is truth to the fact that you need to have a platform in many cases to get that traditional book deal. Of course, anybody can publish, self-publish tomorrow if you wanted to. There are tools to help you with that. But if you wanted to go the Simon & Schuster route, what are the ingredients these days that publishers are looking for besides, of course, a great idea? Yeah. I mean, there's definitely more options for people now than there were five, six years ago, even in routes of publishing. You mentioned self-publishing. Hybrid publishing is a growing model that gives authors a lot of control creatively around their process. Um, and in traditional publishing, it's no surprise the platform is a piece of the pie, right? The social media is certainly a component. But a lot of times I talk to people and they're freaked out about the platform building and they think social media is the only avenue. And what I do is I talk about it in buckets. So social media is one bucket of the platform, but speaking and partnerships and people that you know and programs that you run in your business are all part of your bigger platform. So what publishers are looking for now in this moment is where's your thriving community? right? Is it on social? Is it an arm of your business? Are you actually forward facing teaching and talking about what you want to write about, right? Have you tested the waters with the ideas that you have? Where's the social proof around that? So, you know, books are a great tool to grow our business. And so if we actually look at developing books and selling books in a lane that feels close to our expertise, it's a lot easier than like if I teach meditation and I want to sell a book about house cleaning or vacuums or anything like that. You don't want to disconnect. You want to try and mm -hmm. keep it connected. And that lights publishers up because they know that you're grounded in that work. Mm. I feel like, and you know more, but do you feel like there is a 
new dawn in the publishing industry with regards to, uh, I think I read last year, like so many books were purchased in the pandemic. It was sort of, yeah. uh, publishers went from being um, in the red to in the black, being profitable in yeah. the pandemic of all times. With that too, there was an, an appetite for more storytelling, more personal narrative from all walks of life. So when I started writing, you know, 15 years ago, you go to these pitch meetings and everybody's looks like me, a white skin person. And now uh, I think that is changing or there yeah. is a, a demand for that to change. And that's going to also be reflected in what we see on the bookshelves and on the, on the, you know, bookstores. So talk a little bit about like what you're seeing, the sort of the shifts you're seeing from the, within the industry. It's interesting. I think storytelling is really coming back in a way where it sort of fell out of style for a little bit. There are certainly publishers and agents that specialize in memoir and narrative, certainly, but short form narrative is coming back, which is similar to what you're writing, right? I did it with Jen Winston and her book, Greedy, about the bisexual narrative. That sort of short story format is coming back for a younger reader. So the 30s and 40s-somethings, which is very cool. Um, and I think Glennon Doyle kind of set us off in that direction with Untamed, which is awesome. And to your point, yeah, there's their publishers being much more conscious of a, a diverse community, both in their publishers and with the authors that they sign with, because the human experience is better when we get to hear and learn from different voices and different experiences. And so they are consciously making efforts to make sure that they have diverse representation in all lanes of publishing, which is wonderful. Why did you want to leave the the publishing world as far as, you know, in-house and, yeah. and, and start your own thing? And I believe you did this right as you were having a child uh, or had a child, similar to my, my story. I feel like mommyhood, parenthood is sometimes, they call it the baby effect. You yeah. Just, you know, um, yeah, it was probably 90% hormones. <laughs> things get real. And so while, you know, it looks like you're taking a big risk, but also, but also like, you're planning for your future. You're like, I know that I need to have flexibility in my life. So maybe I should start a business. Is that what, what was your story? Yeah. I mean, up until I had my son, I, I was such a career tracker, right? I was, I prided myself on climbing the corporate ladder and just, just giving and over delivering and just being that person. And, and that served me really well for a long time. Like I loved the hustle and I thrived on that chaos. And when I had Cooper, you know, I was home for two months, two and a half months and went, what it, would it look like if I only did the parts of my job that I really loved? Because now I realize the value of my time, you know, and it's like there was no, I, I loved the job I had. I loved the people I worked with. And so that decision was really based on the fact that in those early years of his life, I didn't want to miss the moments. I didn't. I knew he was probably going to be an only. I just wanted to be there. And when I looked at, you know, rising through the ranks of a company and how much of my time was spent creatively giving output versus what was sort of managerial and the paperwork side of things and maintaining relationships, I decided I really wanted to get my hands dirty again. And so I had this complete creative download that happened two and a half months postpartum. And I started creating a business plan for what it would look like someday, right? You know, five, six, eight years down the road. And I went back to work and very quickly realized the shoe didn't fit anymore. I just felt like it wasn't for me anymore. And I could pass the torch to somebody else who would really love that role. And I wanted to focus on people that didn't have the roadmap to get published, right? Like when you work with all the top New York Times bestselling authors, 
they have teams that support them. And there's all these people with great stories and and great work that aren't getting recognized because they don't know how to get there. Mm -hmm. And so I decided that would be my whole mission. And I never looked back. It's something, right? You talk about this creative download months after having a child. I had that experience. I launched this podcast months after having Evan. I find that there has to be a science to that. Like there has to be a physiological, biological thing that's happening in our bodies, right? In our brains. I feel like I've read about this. There is something to it. There's, I mean, I, I was creative in a way that I hadn't seen in, in like two decades. It's just everything like downloaded to me. Well, it's something I'm I don't know but it, maybe it's another podcast but there's something to it right because you become really protective suddenly right as a as a, a new parent you you take on these new personality traits that dominate and mm-hmm. of course protective of your child but then maybe you're also being protective of just the ecosystem with within within you are raising this family right and making yeah. sure that you're doing what you can to to quote unquote control yep. and it inputs and outputs it's interesting um maybe we'll we'll have to like bring on an expert on that. I don't yeah. Know. And back then I believe when I first started the business, I believed in the illusion of balance, which I no longer believe mm. in. <laughs> yeah. My B word is boundaries. <laughs> I try and maintain boundaries. Yes. yes. But balance, forget about it. I love saying no. And you were the one who said that to me. You know, I, I tend to apologize when I'm like, I can't do this or I won't do this. I won't go on TikTok. And you're like, you're a woman who knows her boundaries. I remember working with Terry Cole, who's a psychotherapist and wrote a book called Boundary Boss. And she... Oh, I like that. I thought that I had really strong boundaries until I worked with her. And I was like, oh, I don't know anything about Mm -hmm. boundaries because so much of it is rooted in codependency that you don't even know is there. And the people pleasing and all the things that, you know, women especially are told they need to be. Uh, So it's a constant, it's a constant effort on my end, certainly. And just to make it financially applicable, I mean, that is true in your financial life too. You have to set standards and boundaries in your financial life. I won't spend money on that. Yeah. But I instead I will on these things. It's sort of um showing what your priorities are. Yeah. And the connection of fear and money is I mean, you will dive into this, mm-hmm. you know, in, in healthy state of panic. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting because I was talking to someone this morning who's an entrepreneur and she said, How did you how did you not get fearful in the moments where your your business was quiet? And I said, mm-hmm. well, because I, it was trial and error. And at the beginning, I had to say yes to some things out of money that I very quickly realized were not good fits. So when you are further into your business, you start to realize that if you stay aligned with who your ideal client is and stop saying yes to things out of the financial scarcity, you end up in a much better position. But it's at the beginning, you know, it's trial and error. And I know I've known you for about a year. And even if in that time, you have shared some anecdotes of you know clients that you know, anonymously, of course, you don't divulge details. You're a good person. But you <laughs> do you. tell me, you know, I have this potential client. This person's being a bit aggressive. What do I do? Can you talk a little bit about how you've learned um, and, and the growing pains in in sort of realizing your boundaries, identifying your boundaries? Mm, yeah. I mean, I think it really came from a few yeses that should have been no's, right? That everything in my body was telling me that, that I was not going to be the right person to help them. And at the end of the road, they may not be happy. And those people sort of naturally started to fall away when I got really clear 
familiar with my vetting process and what I was here to do. So um, I typically see people come to me in in two lanes. One is that they have a business, they really want to write something that's going to help bring them clients or break them out in media or speaking events. And then I have the people that want to write for passion or they want to tell their story and it's personal and vulnerable. And the hardest part of my job is determining if it's the right time for them because everyone feels it's the right time for them. But from the outside looking in, sometimes they're in the middle of extreme growth and transformation. And if I start working with them to develop the book in that moment, by the time we get three months down the road, they're going to want to write a different book. And so I'm having to sort of assess, and I am I am no substitute for therapy, but things can get deep, of figuring out when the right time is for people so mm-hmm. that they're not wasting their money and I'm not wasting my time. It, ha- it has to be the right moment to create. Yeah. I'll tell you, a pet peeve of mine is when I meet somebody who just wants to write the book to get famous or write a book to get on the New York Times bestselling list or just add a line to their bio. And I'm like, that's a, dis- that's a disgrace. <laughs> yeah. it's I've had to be really transparent as transparency is the name of the game for me. And I, I had someone the other day that had uh, was alluding on the call that that writing books was going to be their primary source of income. And so I had to be the person to break the news that like, that's like <laughs> 1% of people, right? Like the, if you want to make fast money, do the online course, do a membership community, do a group program, something like that. But books are a long game and they're beautiful for so many reasons and legacy and impact and hope and all of that. But it's not a fast money-making process. Yeah. And so when people lean so heavily into that... I have to be honest with them about what to expect. Books are a long game, and I, but I believe in the fruit at the end of that. Like I, I have mm-hmm. seen it in my own career as as a platform building tool, as a tool to go out there and build authority and speak and all of those things. So, who do you like to work with? Like, who? How would you describe your current group of clients now? Who are you looking to work with? What what kind of author excites you? Yeah. I mean, mostly mission-driven people, right? Anyone who has built their career or their business around um, changing the world or changing the way that we look at things. So I, I have some books that would be considered, um, you know, social advocacy and things like that, that really excite me because it's in a sense, being on the front end of a much larger curve that's coming down the pipeline. So I like being on the front end of conversations. I love entrepreneurs just because I have such an entrepreneurial spirit. So people who are, you know, building their coaching practices or their businesses, but they've been established for a little bit of time and they know with certainty what people want from them because there's often a gap, right, between what we want to write and what people actually want from us. So if they're clear on what that middle ground is, it's a it's a good you know, position and that lights me up. Um, and I love personal stories. So people that want to share their story, I love prescriptive memoir. So story with a little bit of teaching or reflection, but really mission driven people, um, who just want to be change makers in a bigger way. And you recently started a podcast as you're building your business and how bound and determined you've had on some of your own authors on the show. What's the, 
what is the promise of the podcast? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I was convinced to do, to do it by a dear friend. Like I would have never chosen to do a podcast on my own, but we were sitting one day co-working and he's like, you have so much random information in your brain from the last 20 years and holding different positions. Like people don't know this information. And he's like, here's what this could look like. And what the second it wasn't about me and it was about highlighting other people in the industry and hearing their stories of publishing, I was like, I'm in. Like, that's exciting, right? I want to lift the veil on what is a somewhat confusing process. And so the whole mission behind that show is for me to be able to teach what I teach my own clients, to help people move through the process, and then to hear from industry experts and authors who have done it and who are the decision makers so that people can be guided and 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 know exactly what's available to them. Mm-hmm. I ran a workshop called Book to Brand for five years. Like you, like I had all this knowledge of having done it myself over the years. And I had all this people in my network, literary agents, publishers. I was like, let's bring everybody together and just teach it to those who want to learn in a very fast, intense way (laughs) over two days. But but it led to many book deals. And, you know, Rachel Rogers is a graduate. She's the author of um, Everyone Should Be a Millionaire. I love Rachel. Yeah. Yeah. She's great. And so one thing that I heard, the feedback that I got from some of the participants, some of the people who wanted to write books who were getting a lot of no's from uh, the agents or the publishers, whoever, whatever stage they were at, it was like, you don't have enough Instagram followers. Your Twitter following is not very impressive. And I think that that's a cop out. I think that (laughs) if you have a really good concept you know, maybe it's not a yes now, but if they believe in you, they might want to still work with you and say, okay, let's parallel to working on this idea. Like I want you to get your social media up because I want this to be a success. And, and so what do you think? Do you think that publishers and agents are as forthright as they, as they should be? Yeah. I love this question because I've been on both sides of the deal. So I have two different perspectives on this and they meet in the middle somewhere. So the first is that obviously if you have a platform or a following, you're going to have an easier time selling your book, right? Because you've curated the community of people that want it. So yeah, certainly that's going to help. Is it a deal breaker if you don't have the platform? No. I've had clients with 5,000 followers get six-figure deals. And I've had people with 200,000 followers get more modest deals. So it's not the end-all be-all. It is great for your business though. So you want to be curating the platform for your business. If you're going to sell the book to your people, you kind of want them to be there. So think of the platform not as the sort of uh, gatekeeper for the book deal, but how it's going to benefit your business. But agents are people too, right? They like to acquire things that they know are going to be an easy sell or that isn't a topic that lights them up. And ultimately, when clients get rejection at any part point of their process, I have to remind them that agents aren't deciding what's good or bad. They're deciding what they can sell well based on their professional experience. So to get that feedback and not internalize it, and this is good feedback, you know, wherever you're getting feedback in your business or your life, right? It has more to do with that person than it does about you. So mm-hmm. I would never say to like abandon the project if that was the type of feedback you were getting. It just ha- takes finding the right agent and the right publisher that sees the vision. That's a great, great way to think about it. You know, a lot of people also say, why why even bother to go through the rigmarole of finding an agent, getting a publisher? It takes three years. Why? When I can just self-publish, it looks just as good as a book on the shelf at Barnes & Noble. 
and I can start building authority in a month uh, as opposed to in three years. And there's merit to that yeah. argument. What do you what do you think? Yeah, I mean, this is why there's more options available now than ever before. I think that if someone wants to self-publish, obviously you're you're keeping all the money. Uh, you are responsible for creating a professional product, however. So you might want to invest in an editor or a designer to make it professional. That's certainly a great route to go. I have a friend who self-publishes all of her books and loves it and would never do it differently. But now there's a newer model emerging, which is hybrid publishing, which is the middle ground between self-publishing and traditional publishing. And while you don't get paid in advance, you do have a complete internal team, right, that helps you with editing and, and promotion, but they also have distribution. So a lot of them are partnered with major publishers like Macmillan, Simon & Schuster to sell your book into Barnes & Noble and Target and Costco and all of those places. So now there's this cool model that goes, okay, I can keep creative control. I can have this book out in a year as opposed to two to three. And I can get in stores like what's not to love. So I have a lot of clients that choose that route. So there's just a lot of options. It's very personal at the end of the day. It has to do with the timing, your business, your platform. You know, it's just a, it's a personal decision. Well, this is a money show. So I want to talk a little bit about personal finance with you. And I know you'll go there with me. So in a pandemic with a three-year-old and everybody working from home, how did business do? Did you have to make any financial, really hard financial decisions in the mm. last year? Yeah. I mean, it almost feels... I'm. I don't want to say I'm embarrassed to say this, but the truth is it feels a little icky to say that the pandemic was the biggest time in my business I've ever had. Wow. Um, and I think the reason I spent a lot of time thinking about the reasoning behind that, I, there was more business than I could even handle. Um, and I was, had to turn stuff down out of time and bandwidth, but I have this belief that when we're faced with our own mortality and the world turns upside down, we suddenly want to put focus on all the things that we've been putting on the back burner. So people were coming to me and saying, I don't want to wait anymore. I don't want to put this thing off. Like I have it in my heart. I want to do it. And now has to be the time. And they were at home. They needed a creative outlet. They needed something for them. Because I think what happened for me in the pandemic was like, it, you, I was a like high stress, right? Toddler at home, like locked in a New York City apartment. We didn't Potty leave our apartment. training, for, sleep like, training, yeah. all of that. We didn't leave our apartment for like 79 days or something like that. You know, wiping down the groceries, doing all the things because in the epicenter, we didn't know what was going on. Um, but at the same time to have that influx in my business and people needing emotional support from me during that process too was a lot. Like I really felt when I hit June of this year, you know, and it had, I'd been going for, you know, 12, 14 months at that pace that June of this year hit. And I went, Oh my God, I need an exhale. Like it's, I suddenly felt it. Um, but you know, I, in, in a way I loved that people started prioritizing this dream that they had had for so long. Yeah. I'm raising my hand. Absolutely. It was an inflection point in so many of our lives. If we were fortunate enough to have the space, the headspace to be like, okay, what do I really want from my life? And, you know, you start questioning all of your life decisions. I can tell you my biggest pandemic financial regret was, and that was the Peloton bike. <laughs> Yes. Sorry. I don't mean to enjoy your misery. That is like a I, coat rack in our living room. I got so close to buying it. And I'm not, I have not, I do not like to cycle. 
No, so you know either. that marketing is good. That marketing is so good. It, you know, it's really not even the marketing of Peloton. It's all of the enthusiasts. Like my friend, Terry Trispicio, she, yep. you know, she's a friend of the podcast. She's a friend of our, both of ours. She's ripped. She looks great. She's been Pelotoning all pandemic. <laughs> and I, and I saw her and I was like, what are you doing? And she's like, I just been Pelotoning. And I said, oh my God, I went on the website, but I, here's my financial advice to everybody. Before you buy the, the bike, download the app. You know, I got it for, for, for two months for free and I, I got to remind myself to cancel it because I never even used the app. Yeah. I mean, had I, got- I actually ever gone to a class, I would have known that this, the first five minutes on the bike was going to make me break out in full body hives. Oh, and then, <laughs> and I can't get that $3,000 back. You can sell it on Facebook Marketplace for close to probably what you paid for it. Yeah. If yeah. you're willing to deliver it to their house, maybe. Yeah. It's aspirational. It's sitting there like one day we might use it. <laughs> oh my gosh. That commercial was the best though. The one, so the one that went viral with the, you know, the husband gets the wife, the Peloton. What yes. would you do if your husband got you a Peloton for the holidays? I mean, I he, don't know. I've or, asked or something her, like that, you know, like. I've asked for weirder things. Like I'd rather get a pot. vacuum. I don't know. I just feel like. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's a Dyson, I'll take it, you know. Yeah, I don't know. I'll take a Dyson over. Rochelle Fredson, thank you so much for so many things, for so many things that I don't even know yet because this book hasn't even come out. And that's really the beauty of a book sometimes is like the, I always tell authors and authors to be, it's like, there's this magic of when you release it into the universe and you wait for all the bounty to come and you don't even know, you know, it could be like a phone call. Someone calls and says, your book changed my life. I want you to come speak at my company. All it takes is the right people to read your book sometimes. Mm -hmm. And they, they see the potential and they feel like they can turn it into something else or something bigger. And there is big stuff on the other side of writing a book always. Yeah. Ripple effect for sure. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rochelle. Have a great rest of your week. Thank you. Thank you to Rochelle for joining us. Check out purposefulplatforms.com for more about Rochelle and her coaching and her podcast, Bound and Determined. On Wednesday, we're talking to Dory Clark, who is the author of the new book, The Long Game. Such an important concept. Stay tuned. Thanks for joining. And I hope your day is so money. Money.